Marcus Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality every Tuesday at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I haven't really talked too much about Star Wars Episode 7, so I guess this is a good time to do it. So, Disney bought Lucasfilm. But from the get-go, people at Disney were perfectly willing to admit that that what they really bought is Star Wars. And shortly thereafter, it was announced Episodes 7, 8, and 9 were on the way. Now... In a lot of ways, I think this is something that is kind of... I don't know if I want to go so far as to say to split fandom, but it I'm not sure if there even is a prevailing sentiment about it, but it just seems like a lot of people are a little bit cynical about how things might turn out. Now me, I'm completely on board with episodes 7, 8, and 9, so long as Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher all come back. And oddly enough, it, especially in Ford's case, it just kind of seems like they're all willing to do it. But I've still got some reservations. People have largely reacted as though less George Lucas participation is automatically a good thing. And I'm not so convinced. The theory seems to be that Lucas ought to be left out of the picture when it comes to writing, editing, directing, all that stuff. And apparently, Exhibit A in that is Empire Strikes Back. I've never completely bought that idea. Lucas co-wrote and directed Star Wars, the first one. And he had relatively less participation in Empire Strikes Back, that's true. But he had a similar level of participation with Return of the Jedi, and zero participation with the Holiday Special. My point is that I'm not convinced that diminishing his role is automatically a magic bullet. The other issue here, it requires us to acknowledge two things. Number one. The best Star Wars movie is obviously The Empire Strikes Back. It's awesome. Number two, The Empire Strikes Back, being as awesome as it is, was a complete fluke. A lot of factors lined up the way they needed to for Empire to turn out as well as it did. But you have to acknowledge that it's a house of cards that would have tumbled had anything been removed. My firm opinion is that if any other performer had portrayed Yoda, I'm not going to go so far as to say it wouldn't have worked, but I will say that it wouldn't have worked with the same sensibilities behind it. It may not have worked as well. Also, the effects crew will freely admit these days they took a lot of risks in, in doing optical composites against a white background for the snowspeeder battle on Hoth. Audiences really could have reacted badly to I am your father. Any of these might have been the moment when moviegoers and fans 
turned on George Lucas. What I'm driving at is that everything that makes The Empire Strikes Back tick isn't the kind of thing that you can bottle and sell by the dozen. Because if it was, sequels as awesome as Empire would be the rule rather than the exception. Now that said, Disney has the franchise now and there's there's just no getting around it. But if any other movie studio had inherited Star Wars, best case scenario, I'd be nervous. Worst case scenario, I wouldn't even bother. But the fact that it's Disney tells me that a lot of time, thought, and planning has gone and will go into this thing to make sure the Star Wars universe is protected and expanded in the best way possible. The other thing is the expanded universe. Now, as I've said before, I'm not big on the expanded universe. If Disney is going ahead with 7, 8, and 9 with Han, Luke, and Leia, my guess is that the existing EU is going to get scrapped. I don't think there's any kind of news or spoiler report or even a rumor out there about that. As far as I know, I'm the only one saying this. But to me, it just doesn't make sense to do movies about these characters while protecting the existing EU... I don't know if I want to say canon, but the existing EU oeuvre. There are too many stories, too many characters, too many just fucking dumb ideas. It makes no sense for Disney to keep what's already there rather than rebooting it. Most film fans... And by reboot, what I'm saying is reboot the expanded universe, not the movies themselves. Basically just scrap everything that's not a movie and rebuild it from the ground up. Now, most film franchises would have to worry about alienating their core audiences, but... Ask yourself how many times the core Star Wars audience, if there even is such a thing anymore, has felt completely screwed over since, ooh, 1995, 96, around there. If the franchise exists today, it's because it's constantly expanding the audience. So, sure, long-timers may feel screwed over and left out by an expanded universe reboot. But they're easily replaced by new fans. <clears throat> anyway, I guess the bottom line here is that there's a lot more to be excited for than pissed off about or in fear of. Lucasfilm hasn't really impressed at least me with how they've handled the franchise and the brand since about 2006, and all due respect to George Lucas and everybody else, but there's really no way Disney can do a worse job supporting the brand than Lucasfilm has. The one real gripe I have with all this is with George Lucas himself. I've always liked the idea of George Lucas having fought tooth and nail to escape the Hollywood system. He finally did so and then went on to become the most successful independent filmmaker in history. Selling out to Disney. I mean, look, I see the business sense of it, but... Lucas retiring means that the one filmmaker in America who can do literally anything he wants, whenever he wants, is willfully abandoning what, abandoning what might have been an amazing post-Star Wars career. He's always talked about doing those smaller, more experimental films, and that's, all, that's always sounded more appealing to me than a Clone Wars animated series. 
and now it just feel like it feels like it's all being left on the table, and that that saddens me. But he's a big boy; he has to make his own life decisions, and I I guess he's happy with his choices. So let's see if we can talk Disney into releasing the damned unaltered trilogy now. Biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Doctor Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Hello, and welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. I'm your host, Magnus, and I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But periodically, that is to say every eighth episode, I talk specifically about Star Wars. And so that's what I'll be doing today. But first, I've got some business. You know, there's been some... I shouldn't say blowback. But there's been kind of a reaction to my podcast in terms of how I speak. Does that make sense? The way that I carry myself. My delivery. Some people say I'm pompous. No. I swear, you point out just one time how awesome you are and that makes you pompous somehow. Ugh. Swear. Apparently, I'm supposed to be more humble. But humble about what, exactly? Most people don't have their own kick-ass podcast. But Magnus does. Most people don't have the adoration of millions. But Magnus does. Most people don't have a girlfriend who collects comics herself. But Magnus does. So, I guess what I'm saying here is it's important to keep things in perspective. Still, the overwhelming majority of the reaction to my personal awesomeness has been pretty positive. And in relation to that, we've got some feedback to dig through. So, first things first, uh, we, I received an email. This comes from Professor Allen from the uh, Quarterbin podcast. So... Here's the deal. Um, I actually did a, a little bit of a feedback section uh, a few episodes back because I didn't want to have to keep you guys sort of waiting on this. And so I just went ahead and just sort of banged it out and then amended a, an episode that was already in the hopper. And uh, that was pretty much that. Now, Mia culpa. This email from Professor Allen actually should have been included in that little feedback section, but for thematic purposes, this actually may be a better tie-in for 
uh, for this episode. So I guess what's the point here? Well, it'll become evident in just a moment. This email from Professor Allen is titled, Star Wars and What If? Equals, Sounds Great. Professor Allen writes, Trentus, I really enjoyed your discussion of the Star Wars Infinities miniseries in Episode 8. I'm a sucker for the concept of Elseworlds and What If stories, and Emily and I even talked about that concept in Shortbox Showcase number 3. Which, by the way, let me just put this email on pause for a sec. People, if you're not listening to Shortbox Showcase, or for that matter, any of the relatively geeky uh, podcasts, you're you're only hurting yourselves, all right? Um, Professor Allen, he's witty, he's insightful, he has a great show, and as will become evident in just a minute, this is not small talk that we're talking about here, but anyway... Back to his email. Maybe you and I could talk about an Elseworld story or two sometime, and maybe we can even grab a better-known comic book podcaster to give us much-needed street cred. It's a crazy idea. Sorry I even brought it up. That actually is actually not a bad idea. We're going to have to take a look into that. I'm not familiar with these Star Wars comics in particular. And again, going back to Professor Allen. I'm not familiar with these Star Wars comics in particular, but I love the idea of this series. I'm definitely going to see if, if I can track these down. You really whetted my appetite. I'm really looking forward to your coverage of more Star Wars goodness and even maybe some not-so-goodness. And that was the end of the email from Professor Allen. And so um, just across the board, you know, what this tells me is that uh, because this is also Star Wars-centric, the episode that he's responding to, and this episode that I'm reading this in is very Star Wars-centric. What this tells me is that even when I mess up, I'm still awesome, because everything kind of fits together. Now, as to your uh, comments, uh, Professor Allen, um, as will become evident in just a little while, I think, um, my remarks about Empire Infinities, that is to say the Empire Strikes Back Infinities, the miniseries, may be a little bit different than uh, what I had to say about the Star Wars Infinities miniseries, but... Overall, um, I do think that these are still worth reading. All of these comics are still worth reading. Because I'm for anything that gets people to look at the original trilogy with, I guess, a different set of eyes. You know, anytime that we can reevaluate uh, the original trilogy, anything that cause, that basically lets us do that and revisit those characters is A-OK in my book. So, and if for no other reason, that's... That's why I recommend these Infinity series. In fact, that may be the main reason I recommend these in Infinities miniseries. But so that's that. But either way, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to write, and um, good job. Appreciate it. Next, we've got some more iTunes feedback to go through. This first iTunes, uh, this first of the new series of iTunes reviews, is entitled "Funny and Sharp." Again, written by Professor Allen, and he says. Great format, great insight, great humor, and pretty good opinions. And so, you guys need to understand, like I said, coming from Professor Allen, this is not idle praise. I mean, he runs his own show, in fact, a couple of shows. And so, for him to issue these kinds of comments, that's that's kind of a big deal. So, uh, thank you very much, Professor. appreciate you uh, taking the time to do that. And... Um, see next up this next uh, iTunes review is entitled I have never laughed out loud at a podcast until now submitted by the Keith 0902 I'm pretty sure I know who this is but I don't want to actually 
say so aloud in case it turns out to actually not be him, but in any case. The Keith 0902 wrote on October 20th, 2013, This show is steadily becoming one of my favorites. The format is... Well, the format is whatever the host feels like discussing for that episode, and that's very true. The format is whatever the host feels like discussing for that episode. So far, I've heard him defend Smallville. Somewhat easy. Defend Schumacher Batman. Somewhat impossible. And and just to put that on pause, yeah, maybe it is impossible, but I did it anyway. Uh, let's see, getting back into the review. Defend Schumacher Batman. Somewhat impossible. Discuss Mark Wade's Legion. An excellent series, by the way. And again, putting this, this iTunes review on pause for just a sec. Yes, it is. I... There's a lot of things that I could say about that, but what I'll say is that for Mark Wade and Barry Kitson's participation, for me, that that series of The Legion is definitive. And I realize, you know, I'm coming at this maybe from a much different point of view than a lot of, um, shall we say, older Legion fans are, the the ones that, uh, in, that got into the original version of the, uh, of the Legion, the one that apparently didn't actually happen after all. It all took place on Earth 2 or some other alternate Earth, this unbooted Legion. So, anyway, everyone is entitled to their opinion. Mine just happens to be right. So, for me, this three-boot version of the Legion, the the Barry Kitson, Mark Wade Legion of Superheroes, for me, Magnus, this is definitive. So, in any case, back into, uh, back into the Keith's... Um, uh, iTunes review. He writes, Discuss Mark Wade's Legion, an excellent series, by the way, among other subjects. New and potential listeners, do yourself a favor. Download all of these shows. The discussion of Superman's secret identity had me laughing so hard I re-listened right after I finished it, and I never re-listened to anything. Give this show a shot. I think you'll love it. So, first of all, thank you, the Keith. Uh, very much appreciate that. Now, I've never actually heard anybody tell me before that they immediately re-listen to any of my shows. As a matter of fact, I don't think anyone's ever told me that they re-listen to any of my shows, whether it's immediately or later on or what have you. So, I, again, I, I regard that as very high praise. So thank you very much. I appreciate uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, write all of that and the five-star review, all of it. Very much appreciated. Next, this, uh, this next iTunes review is entitled Trentus Magnus is Right Full Stop by Joe Anthrax, written on October the 22nd, 2013. He writes, in a medium filled with podcasts with various personalities, giving their opinions on whatever they feel like, this one stands above the crowd by having an intelligent, well-reasoned, and engaging host who's able to make his point and make you see how right he is. Some might call this arrogance, and as you may, to put this on pause for just a minute, yeah, I've, I've been dealing actually with that very fucking thing just a while ago, but anyway, back to the thing. Some might call this arrogance. I see it as a person who just knows what the heck he's talking about. A great show that I'm glad to add to my podcast playlist. Thank you very much, Joe Anthrax. Appreciate all of that. Now, um, appreciate you taking the time to to uh, write all of that. I appreciate your kind words. And, and to everybody, I just appreciate you taking the time to write these iTunes reviews. I know that can be a little bit of a pain in the neck to... Log into the iTunes um, uh, portal, go to the right section, and all of that stuff. So, I realize that it's more, it, it's a little bit more difficult to do this than just, you know, dash off a, a quick email and then you know send that along. And so, irrespective, I, you know, appreciate you guys taking the time to do all of this. It's, believe me, very, very definitely appreciated. And um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm just very happy and proud to have people like this listening to my show. So for the moment, that is it for email and feedback and all of that stuff. So what I'm going to do right now is just play a couple of promos, and then I'm going to be back here with a, a, a discussion about the Empire Strikes Back Infinities miniseries. So sit tight. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, Gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-Death and Return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. 
And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast dot com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. Okay, and so we're back now, continuing my little Star Wars weekend with the Empire Strikes Back Infinity's miniseries. Now, I covered Star Wars Infinities last time and warned you that I'd probably have very different comments about Empire Infinities, and so here we are. But to offer multiple perspectives, I've got some guests with me this time around to level things out. Hopefully. My first guest is Two True Freaks co-host and former Just Say No spokesman, Chris Honeywell. Welcome back, sir. Hello. My other guest is Two True Freaks co-host and former Jeopardy champion, Scott Gardner. Hello and welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's going. It's going well. How are you guys? Doing great. I'm okay. (laughs) I thought it was Just Say Yo, actually. Just Say Yo. (laughs) Yo. Chris and Scott host Two True Freaks, which I would I would hope you're familiar with since my show is now part of their freaking podcast network, but <laughs> in case you're not familiar with them or if your memory just sucks, well, Two True Freaks has monthly shows dedicated to Star Wars, Star Trek, comics, and movie commentaries. So first off, I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today. Oh, the thank pleasure's you for all mine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for inviting us. We appreciate that. Yeah, we've, we've already started getting the questions from Trentus Magnus listeners of, do I have to subscribe to the Two True Freaks? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Dave. Well, made, the answer is no, really you, you don't. You don't have to subscribe to Two True Freaks, but yes, you why do. wouldn't you want to? Yes, you do, and you have to listen to everything, or you can't listen to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. How about this? You could just subscribe to Trentus Magnus, but then you get on the Scott Gardner shit list. There you go. I, Which, that works. <laughs> <laughs> what page are we on on that? Like 795 or something like that? Hang on, I need to add a couple people. I know. Yeah, Richard Nixon's enemies list has nothing on Scott. <laughs> no. Well, it's not even a list anymore. It's it's volumes, right? Like Encyclopedia Britannica. This is A. <laughs> <laughs> and there's degrees of shit, too. <laughs> well, I'll bet. There's the little shit, and then there's... Okay, yeah, he's then, got different colored inks for it. He's got a whole system for it. Yeah. <laughs> then there's the ones that are splashed with blood, and oh, those, you watch out for those. <laughs> That's maybe a superhero name, right? Uh, the Bloody Stool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, to get into it, as I said last time, I talked about Star Wars Infinities. And the concept of Infinities is to take the Star Wars trilogy that you're familiar with, create a divergence in the timeline, and then basically play the story out after that change has been made. So it's interesting how much one alteration can totally change the course of events. 
In the case of Star Wars Infinities, Luke fails to blow up the Death Star, which of course screws things up in a big bad way for the Rebel Alliance, and the story plays out a lot differently than the original trilogy does. It needs to be understood that The Empire Strikes Back Infinities has nothing to do whatsoever with Star Wars Infinities except for taking the same basic approach to the story of Empire. So Empire Infinities isn't a sequel to Star Wars Infinities. They're, they're both complete and separate works under themselves. For Empire Infinities, you, you should assume that Star Wars played out exactly as you know it. The change in the storyline occurs in Empire, and we'll get more into that later on, but you could think of Empire Infinities as sort of an alternate sequel to Star Wars, but it has no bearing on Star Wars Infinities. And the same thing holds true for Return of the Jedi Infinities, which takes the story of Star Wars and Empire, as you know both of them, and introduces a change only to Return of the Jedi. So again, you could think of that as an alternate sequel to Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. But the series has nothing to do... Each of these miniseries have nothing to do with each other insofar as continuity is concerned, so... Hopefully that all makes sense. Does that make sense to you guys? Uh-huh. Does not <laughs> compute. <laughs> he beat me to it. I was just going to go, uh... <laughs> what the hell did you just say? <laughs> No, I got it, man. I'm all I'm all down with the alternate realities, man. You know what? Of all people, I find that easy to believe about you. <laughs> <laughs> His entire reality's been altered. What the hell are you talking about? Quantum physics, dude. <laughs> well, anyhow, so this is The Empire Strikes Back Infinities. Writer is Dave Land. Penciler is David Fabri. Yeah, must be Italian. Inker is Christian Dalla Vecchia. I'm just moving on. Colorist is Dan Jackson. Letterer is Steve Dutro. Synopsis goes, Three years after the Rebels' success at the Battle of Yavin, the Alliance sets up a new base on the remote ice world of Hoth. After escaping from a Wampa ice monster, Luke sees the spirit of Obi-Wan instructing him to go to Dagobah and find the Jedi Master Yoda and speaking in riddles the entire fucking time because God forbid this guy give a straight answer to anything. Events begin to change though when Han's Tauntaun dies before he can, Han can find the missing Luke. Unable to find Luke in time and with no way to keep him warm, Han's unable to save Luke from death by exposure. But before Luke's death, the young Jedi apparently confused Han with Leia and imparts Obi-Wan's message to Han. Later, during the funeral for Luke, Han tells Leia that he has to go to Dagobah, believing that he's to train as a Jedi. Just then, the Empire uh, attacks and the Rebellion starts to evacuate Hoth. The Millennium Falcon, unable to effectively escape the Hoth system due to a malfunctioning hyperdrive, sets a course for Bespin, where Han hopes he can get repairs to the ship. Unbeknownst to Han, Darth Vader has hired a number of bounty hunters to find the Millennium Falcon, including Boba Fett, who follows Han to Bespin. Upon his arrival at Bespin, Han meets up with his gambling buddy, Lando Calrissian. Casually laughing off Han's claims that he's going to become a Jedi, Lando agrees to repair the Falcon's hyperdrive. When Lando returns to, a, to his office, he finds Boba Fett sitting at his desk. Fett demands that Han, Leia, Chewbacca, and C-3PO be turned over to him 
but what Boba doesn't know is that they've already arrived, as Han doesn't go into the asteroid field in this continuity. Because the plot needs him to not go into the asteroid field in this continuity. So, Fett is led into a trap by Lando and is knocked unconscious after throwing down with Han and Chewbacca. Yes, once again, Boba Fett dies like a bitch. After the repairs are finished and the Falcon leaves Bespin, Lando returns to his office to admire his new, his new desk, which is crafted using Boba Fett's carbonite-encased body. However, Vader's ship arrives soon after the Falcon leaves, and Vader demands that Lando turn, turn over the Rebels to him. Upon learning that the Falcon has already left, Vader orders the devastating bombardment of Cloud City, killing every inhabitant, and leaving... Lando's cape to flutter in the breeze because Superman number 75 was an influential book even even after when this book was published. Eventually, the Falcon arrives at Dagobah, where Han is surprised to learn that he won't be trained as a Jedi, but Leia will be instead. Yoda tells Leia that Luke was her brother and her father is Darth Vader. Han, determined to settle his bet with Jabba the Hutt or get away from the creepy green guy, leaves Leia on Dagobah to train with Yoda. During the next several months, Han gathers, gathers together the money he needs to pay off Jabba. Leia trains with great fervor, and Darth Vader continues his search for Luke, not knowing the youth's fate. Dismissing rumors that Luke has died, Vader insists that he can still sense Luke's presence. Eventually, Han, Chewbacca, and C-3PO return to Tatooine to settle Han's debt, but upon their arrival, they're captured by Jabba's thugs, and the Falcon is stolen by a bounty hunter. Han and Chewbacca are taken to Jabba's palace, where they're forced to do battle with two Nexu that Jabba keeps in a pit beneath his audience chamber where the Rancor used to be. Han and Chewbacca are able to escape with R2's help, and the now freed Nexu tear through Jabba's palace, destroying everything in sight. In the confusion, Han and Chewbacca are able to board a shuttle, <clears throat> a hut shuttle, and escape uh, to the docked Falcon in Mos Eisley. Soon after Han's escape, Vader arrives at Jabba's palace to question him about Han's presence. Jabba says that he doesn't know where Han is now, and Vader recognizes C-3PO and demands that the droid be handed over to him. After returning to his ship, Vader dismantles 3PO and retrieves Dagobah's location from the droid's memory. Back on Dagobah, Leia is in the last stage of, stages of her training. Yoda sends her on a wild goose chase to find a crystal for her lightsaber from a nearby cave because he knows that Vader is on the way. And sure enough, during Leia's absence, Vader arrives and confronts Yoda. Using his connection to the Force, Yoda delves deep into Vader's psyche and confronts the man inside, Anakin Skywalker, who's surrounded by multiple layers of the dark side. During their mental battle, Leia finds her crystal and receives an image of Vader confronting Yoda. In his mind, Anakin fights off shadows of long-dead Jedi such as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mace Windu, and Qui-Gon Jinn. During the confrontation, Vader learns of Luke's death. Vader's then able to deliver a fatal blow to Yoda through the mental link, severing the Jedi's lock on his mind. Leia then arrives and duels with Vader. Vader offers her the chance to join him and rule the galaxy, but Leia refuses. Before Vader can strike her down, Han and Chewbacca arrive in the Falcon. Han then fires on Vader and kills him. Before Yoda dies, he tells Leia to pass what she's learned on to others. 
Leia burns her father's body on a funeral pyre before leaving with Han on the Falcon to rejoin the Rebels and save the galaxy. The end. <sighs> so, to my guests, who wants to go first? I'll go. It's the space butterfly effect. <laughs> it's weird. I read this years ago, and it played out a little differently. For some reason, I thought that Luke had died in his snowspeeder crash, not just sort of freezing to death. But I like how they, uh, I like how they illustrate the one difference. It's just Han, you know, r running through, through uh, Obi Wan's ghost instead of Han on a Tauntaun and I didn't even really notice it when I was reading it this time so that that totally threw me off I really like I really like how they sort of like wiggle things back into essentially the same resolution you know the faded re resolution of of Darth Vader basically in in some way and and I, I need to read the other two books, but I remember this one being my favorite of all of them. I semi remember. Are you serious? Like this one's your favorite? I, I that's how I remember. <laughs> it's funny it. you need, say that because I was thinking that I just didn't say it. <laughs> I need to I need to remember. I need to read the other two because I remember the first one, the Star Wars one, maybe being my least favorite, and it was wasn't that one like Dark Leia or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, pretty and, much. Uh, and I do not remember Jedi at all, so I'm going to have to reread it. I don't have to is, I don't know, that's relative. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to for my own, own state of mind. Fair enough. Scott, what do you got? Um, did you have anything else on this, Chris? Fuck him, what do you got? <laughs> you know... <laughs> Well, first off, I, I feel kind of silly because I didn't know that the stories were independent from one another. Right. So having never read any of the three of these before, uh, I started uh -huh. with Star Wars. Plus, you had just talked about it on the show, and it had me really curious. So I, I read Star Wars, mm -hmm. and then when I started into Empire, I'm like, oh, okay, this is completely... So I went ahead and I read all three of them just to have read them because I had never read them before. Mm -hmm. Um I have my quibbles with all three. I would say probably the Jedi one ended up being my favorite one. But I liked elements of this. Really, I, I thought the story was very interesting. I liked some of the things that happened, particularly the uh, the fall of Cloud City, I thought was really awesome. I'd, I'd love to see that, you know, realized on the big screen. No shot of Lando going, I, I know, <laughs> I, I really wanted that too. But the thing that bugged me about this this particular one was that with with Star Wars and with Return of the Jedi Infinities, there's one divergence. One thing happens that throws the story off. Mm -hmm. With this one, there's multiple divergences, and that really started to get on my nerves. How after do you a while. mean, though? It's I mean, all right, it all so the starts story, with one. No, it doesn't. You, you, the story starts out, and on page two. We see after the Wampa has swiped Luke's Tauntaun and killed it, he also bats Luke a second time, which he doesn't do in the movie. So Luke is is even more injured than he was initially. And then 
you flip the page again, it's Leia that comes and gets Han to ask him to go out. You know, basically, have you seen Luke? Which is not how it happens in the movie. That, I mean, there's no reason why the Wampa hitting Luke a second time would change this course of events. Then in the Wampa cave, there's multiple Wampas. Luke cuts the arm off the one just like he does in the movie, but there's another Wampa behind that one that digs a trench in Luke's back with its claws, further injuring him again. So Luke actually dies because he has more injuries inflicted on him than he did in the movie. Now, all of that I can deal with up to this point, but then Han arrives and his tauntaun had frozen to death which is another divergence i actually like that one best i wish it had just it started just started with that story just started right here where luke's dying in the snow and that's where the divergence is because luke dies because han didn't have the tauntaun to, to put him inside to save his life i i think the story should just start there then the one that really bugged me was after luke's funeral actually at luke's funeral the empire arrives but they arrive in TIE Fighters. What the hell? The, again, Luke's death on Hoth wouldn't have changed. Would not have affected the timeline to where the Empire would show up in a different manner than they did in the actual. Uh, the two maybe events his, are completely unrelated. So. Maybe his funeral distracted one guy long enough that they were like, yeah, we can sense that we've snuck in before they, you know. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, I found yeah, that wonky stretch, too. But yeah, like I say, I well, you know, the one thing I, I could think of that might answer that, and I'm trying to flip through, find the right place in the issue, but there's a possibility that the Empire might have been might have been better able to organize because if you remember in Empire Strikes Back, what really tipped uh, tipped everything was that Admiral Ozzel came he came out of light speed way too, too close. close to Hoth. Right. And so the Empire knew that the rebels were on to him. Here, they may very well have been distracted, and so they may not have necessarily known that the Empire was even there. The Empire knew that, that in spite of Ozzel's stupidity, they're still, they're, they still caught the rebellion off guard, and so that's that's what made the difference. That's the only thing I can think of to, to account for that. Yeah, that's pretty much what I the only thing I can think of, too. What could have really saved this is if this was a sneak attack by the Empire, that they didn't even know that the Empire was coming. But the author of this story kind of sabotages his own story right at this point mm -hmm. because at the bottom of that page you've got one of the mm -hmm. rebels saying that probe droid commander solo ran into earlier definitely belonged to the empire right. it's like okay for one thing why the hell did you do that because it would have been better off if they had never known about the probe droid and that's why they got attacked and they had no warning because there was right. no warning at all they didn't have a, a force field up also there is not time in this particular sequence of events for Han and Chewie to have gone out and fought the probe droid like they did in the actual film. So there was your explanation right there, and he blows it for himself. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, like I said, I tried not to let these t little things bug me, but it was just, there, there's enough of them that added up to where because the story started rough, it, it, it kind of affected the whole thing chain of events for me but once you get past this point i actually started to really dig it except for one other thing which was i think han comes off as a big idiot 
and a he's, lot of elements played for story. comedy. Well, he he is, but also in the fact that, I mean, he really thought he was the one that was supposed to go and become a Jedi Knight. I mean, Han Solo that I remember from, especially from Star Wars and Empire, no interest, no belief not living the lifestyle, not that personality to suddenly go, well, you know, my dead buddy, you know, wanted me to go become a Jedi, so I'll go, and no. I mean, can anybody honestly see smuggler pilot Han Solo thinking, well, okay, I'll, I'll see what this Jedi thing is. No, that to me was a bridge too far. And it makes him seem like, for one thing, it, it seems out of character, but then also when he actually gets to tattooing and finds out that it's Leia, you know, he gets all indignant with Yoda. He's like, hey, wait, I'm the chosen one. And it's like, again, I I can't see Han Solo doing that. It, it That was a bit of a stretch to me. Well, but, it's kind of funny. That's even in the story. Like, Lando laughs at it, and it's almost like the... Right. Lando's almost like the surrogate for the reader at this point. I can't... That's actually in my notes. I can't buy that either. No way. No. I, I thought that was really... I thought it was kind of silly, to be honest with you, that that Han really believed that that's what Luke meant. Well, this is this is like maybe the Han Solo of more of the Star Wars, the egotistical, you know, Han Solo who would assume that, you know, Luke was talking about him going to the Dagobah system. I think Luke was just do it, you know, talking about himself going to the Dagobah system. Right. But this, this Han Solo, this character is just assumes it's him because and by this point in the story and it shouldn't be much it's not that much difference as a matter of fact he should be even more tempered by luke's death han was starting to level out and become more of a you or whatever responsible or or feeling more of a, a allegiance to the rebellion you know and and rather than being just a a, a mercenary so it, it sort of regressed his character, you know, back to when we first meet him in Star Wars. Right. And I, I think they were just, I think it's sort of like the, in the movie Jedi, they didn't know what to do with him, so he's just sort of played for laughs. Yeah. I mean, he oh, could have yeah. a lot of character moments that he destroyed his friend Lando and his entire, <laughs> all those people. And I don't think it even comes up in the story. He even knows what happened. I don't think they even comment mm. on that. Uh, yeah, that's true. Well, Leia. It's sort just of yeah, it's again, it's another golden opportunity to... they had that they just didn't. Mm-hmm. Right, right. To uh, I think the I think the problem with this is, um, how many issues of a of an actual comic were were these like four, six, four. Four or six? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were no. Never mind. I thought you were asking about like when they were ad uh, adapted. You know the the movies when they were adapted. Oh no no no. These the, the yeah actual, these yeah they were four issue minis. A trade. Yeah, okay. all three so, of them yeah. were four issue minis. So I think there was a lot of you know there were a lot of pressure just to cram it into. Oh yeah. Into those many pages, and you know they could have saved some pages in the front of here. I mean, they have him battling, you know, the 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 Wampa. What well, there's one, there's at least three pages of Luke of just battle sequence of Luke fighting Wampas, and uh, you know, they they could have fleshed out the story more if they if they conserved it on the front end, 
which I think they could have done with pretty much all of these. But um, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, you got anything else? Uh, a couple of quick things. Um, where did Leia get these clothes? She's stuck on Dagobah for what, like five years or something. Um, unless Yoda just happens to keep like extra fabric around it's, or something. It's a samurai outfit. Yeah, exactly. Fitted for a for a young lady. <laughs> That's a good catch. Yeah. Um. One of the things that bugged me a little bit with both this one and Star Wars Infinities was injecting stuff from the prequel trilogy into it. This is something I noticed Dark Horse has done a lot of late, mm-hmm. is bringing elements of the prequel trilogy into the Han, Luke, Leia era stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it bugs me, but it bugs me. I know it's all kind of makes sense, saga, yeah. but it, it still does. That That's one reason I would really give the uh, Return of the Jedi Infinities the leg up on these other two because it really didn't do that. It, it, that one to me had the feel of, you know, original trilogy. It didn't take anything else into account and it kind of ran with that story forward just with a different turn of events. And I, I really liked that one. Not that I didn't like this one. I did. I liked a lot of elements of it. Also, I noticed with this one, this is the only one where the story's not really resolved. They don't end it. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was just going to say. It, it could definitely have gone forward and, and it resolves it. Anakin, but what right. about the Emperor's just uh, sitting pretty? Right. So this one just begs, you know, this one just begs a storyline after it of the Emperor's going to need a new Sith or whatever. So this one actually sets itself up better than Jedi for a sequel. By leaving the Emperor alive, but I, I miss the Emperor at all in this. He's not in this at all, Mm-mm. and I, I kind of miss that. I, I like the part where Yoda just basically owns Darth Vader, you know, for the whole time he's there, right? And uh, you know, right up until and, and the inclusion of you know of all the all the prequel characters and stuff like that, but. Uh, yeah, it's the the weird gonna, scene with the little kid didn't didn't play right. With I'm going to completely contradict kid. myself though that although I don't like the the prequel elements injected into the latter day elements, I did get a kick out of uh, the inclusion of uh, Vili Grark. I thought that yes. was kind of interesting because he's a character from Tales. Uh, yeah, from Tales and uh, Star Wars Republic. He actually uh-huh. uh, teamed up with. Um, Oh, who's the Indian Jedi? I just completely drew a blank uh, on his Quinlan name. Quinlan Voss? Quinlan Voss, yeah. Yeah. He uh, he factors into a lot of the Quinlan Voss stories in Star Wars Republic. So, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, the art was pretty good in it, too. At first, I wasn't sure I was going to like the art style, but the thankfully, the artist that did the covers is not the same artist that does the interiors, because I, I really don't care for that uh that cover artist very much but it was it was interesting um i think that was pretty much all the notes that i had on it yeah i i I thought it was all right it's weird that uh i I liked how invaders dream 
when he's battling Yoda and the are they inside the tree or is this just a sequence I think they're just the I think they're just sort of near the tree or it looks like they're in the in that pretty dark side part of the swamp maybe right but then again it sort of goes dark when Vader shows up like Vader's look gro- goes retro he looks like like proto Vader from like early sketches and like the yeah the it's like at some point it becomes novel- the Macquarie uh, Vader yeah yeah I thought that was really cool because at first I thought, "Whoa, this guy can't draw Darth Vader to save his life." And then I flip back. I'm like, "No, no, no! He's doing this on purpose." And that it took me a minute to realize it. But yeah, I like that. He's got like the skinnier mouthpiece and more of a samurai-looking headdress and everything. And mm-hmm. it actually looked really cool. And all the and all the Force ghosts are just basically like peeling layers of evil off him, you know? Right. And 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 working him down. And I like that. I like that Yoda is not. You know, he's old, 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 but they don't portray him as totally weak. As a matter of fact, he just, you know, takes control of the situation. I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. This on this honestly just um, occurred to me, but I, th- I forget which one of you was sort of, uh, I don't know if I want to say critic, but you weren't crazy about uh, Yoda's uh, fight scene and Attack of the Clones. Oh, uh, yeah, so- that would be me. Oh, oh, okay. Suppose that the the battle had gone something more like this, where it's more like uh, a sort of, I don't know, matrixy sort of like inside, more of a mental battle inside of uh, a, some kind of a mental link. Suppose it had right. gone something more like this, a little more impressionistic. Would that have been a little more up your alley? I instead think of like so. the Sonic I, the Hedgehog stuff. Ultimately. What really <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog? That's a good analogy, by the way. Yes. <laughs> what, what ultimately bugs me about the prequels as a whole, when it comes to Yoda, and I fully acknowledge that this is not anybody's fault. This is my own, you know, my own impression of Yoda. Or preconceptions. That's the word I was looking for. My own preconceptions of Yoda, but. Growing up watching the original trilogy and, and seeing Yoda in Empire and, and paying attention to the way that character was portrayed and, and the story that he was given, such as it was, mm-hmm. I just grew up with the impression that Yoda was an unknown element, that he lived on this mysterious swampy planet that was a pain in the ass to get to, and he was kind of hidden away. And this is where the Jedi would go and they would seek him out and they would get trained. But Yoda himself, because he was of an advanced age and just the whole setup of his character was that he wasn't really involved in the story. He wasn't part of the of the grand galactic picture. And so not these directly. People, and exactly. He he didn't take an active hand. He just trained the Jedi, you know, and then sent them out to do their thing. I like that version of Yoda better. It makes more logical sense to me. So when we got Phantom Menace and we got Attack of the Clones and here's Yoda and he's living on Coruscant and he's you know sitting in on the council, it, it was just like, no, 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 no. That That's not, you know, it just seems silly to me because he still had the same look. He still has, you know, tattered robes and he's still barefoot and he still has got his gimmer stick and it's all the same trappings yet. He's living on 
right. city planet. Right. He's he'd like, have real shoes on and he'd have a little nice robe for when he's in the Jedi Temple or whatever. Exactly. And it just it it just didn't work for me. And that God, that scene in, in Attack of the Clones where he suddenly whips out a lightsaber and starts fighting, I'm like, no, God damn it, no, that's not Yoda. And again, I, I fully cop to the fact that's me, that's my preconceptions of the character, but to this day, it just bugs the shit out of me because I like the other version better. I, I think that it just fits more because in Lucas's own words, it was always the, like the little troll under the bridge or side the road that helped the hero along. Right. And, and that I like that version better because it, it, it's just, it's more in the, the aspect of classic storytelling. Well, the Yoda, and not, the, hmm? the Yoda and the prequels, I always conceived it as not, like like you said, it's not as true to the Yoda character, but it's sort of treating the Yoda character as the audience perceives it as in, but not on the real character sense, but like Yoda is the great Jedi master, blah, blah, blah. So we have to put him in the story because we want Yoda in there as the great Jedi master. So how would, you know, he's of in this... So he ends up becoming... You know, someone in the in the Jedi Palace, you know that all the other that all the other Jedi's there pay respect to him, and and he well, teaches were, the little kids. See, and it's they like, no, done Yoda that. doesn't teach little kids. He teaches people who find him. <laughs> you right. have to, to a certain level to to get to Yoda. I think the only reason that little kid scene is in Attack of the Clones was to address the people that were pissed with Phantom Menace that found out that. It was Qui-Gon Jinn who was Obi-Wan's right. master and not Yoda, which completely contradicts Ben's own statements in The Empire Strikes right. Back, that it was Yoda that trained him. So in the next movie, they throw in that little scene with the younglings to show, oh, no, 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 what we meant was, you know, when he was just a wee tyke, you know, Yoda kind of put him on his path before he you know, became the right. apprentice of Qui-Gon, which is like, whatever. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, if you <laughs> yeah. got to do it that way. But here, here's how I think they could have saved it. They, they could have done everything that they did with those movies, had their little Jedi Council, all that stuff. But at some point, have Obi-Wan where, where he needs a higher authority or he needs to consult or whatever the deal is. And so he takes Anakin and they fly off to Dagobah and they find that, yeah, while there is a Jedi Temple and there's a Jedi Council and there's all this stuff going on over here secretly Yoda's off in left field doing his own thing, hanging out on Dagobah. Yeah. And he wants nothing to do with any of that crap. Real training. But he's the guy that they all come to, to actually get on their path to Jedi Knight, And, uh, and that's, and I think, right. It connects I, I the force to nature. Yeah. I, and, I just think that was the better way well, to go. And, see, and my, having Jedi or having Yoda be an actual, you know, lightsaber wielding ass kicking Jedi is just, you see, I don't, Ugh. I don't mind the lightsaber wielding as much as the the Sonic the Hedgehog effect. I would rather have seen them figure out a way for Yoda to do it in a dignified Yoda manner, where he's mm -hmm. not gonna he's not gonna bring himself to the level of jumping around and fighting like the other Jedi's. He's way beyond that. He's just gonna walk through it. And at first, it's sort of like that. He's just blocking things, blocking 
what's being done and then countering it and just marching forward. But then he springs into a man of action and that's supposed to be the scene where everybody goes, you know, berserk. But, um, What's yeah, funny, I don't think sitting... Yoda should ever, unless it's the you know the most necessary thing in the world, Yoda should never be doing those. Sh- and he was doing showy, you know, things that he didn't. You don't have to when you jump through the air. You don't have to twirl around in circles. That's just a waste of energy. You know, he should have been. If he did something like that, he should have been so fast that nobody even knew what happened. It was you know just this blur, and your hands are on the ground. Right. Or whatever. But jumping up on stormtroopers and sticking his lightsaber through their chest and stuff, it's just that's not the dignified Yoda character that I would want. I mean, that's that's sort of what I like in, in this Infinities also is he that's the Yoda in this Infinities. When there's right. when there's a lot all the lightsaber fights in this are man to man, you know, old school saber fight it's not a it's not a matrix fight and um it it benefits from that of course they're assuming you know this is the old yoda that he's you know that he's not going to be doing that but whatever he's still powerful enough to just decimate darth vader did you read the first one, the the Star Wars Infinities? I read it when I I read all three of these when the when they came out. I read Jedi. I think I bought the issues for Jedi, and you know what? Maybe Jedi was my favorite because when I read the Jedi one, I went out and bought the trades for Star Wars and Empire, and um, so I might just have it all screwed up in my head. <clears throat> but I read them all. But that was years ago. I mean, what is this like? This is during the, it, like 2003, something like that. Sounds about right. Thereabouts, yeah. I think all three of them are prior to so, yeah, uh, the, Revenge of the Sith, which was, what, 2005, I think. Yeah, so it was around a decade ago, East. Which was another reason why it bugged me a little bit when they kept incorporating prequel elements, because the prequel trilogy wasn't finished wasn't yet. Finished. So you didn't even knew, know how it was going to play out, so... But no, the reason I brought up the the Star Wars Infinities is uh, I, I really liked Trent's show when he was talking about um, that particular book because I had never read it. But you were talking about uh, Yoda crashing the Death Star into Coruscant, right. Ooh. and and reading this for myself and seeing that I completely agree with you that while it is an incredible visual. At the same rate, nobody has any thought about doing this and killing untold billions well, of people. You know I, I mean? forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, most of those people on Coruscant are just citizens of Coruscant. Exactly. They're, they're under a bad regime or whatever, but they're just the same people that were on Coruscant before. I mean, you've already got people that are arguing the fact that not every single person on the both Death Stars was probably an evil imperial now you're talking about a planet you're talking about taking out a whole planet that all i can think of is maybe at this time in the eu and and again not an eu expert here maybe at this time in the eu it was just assumed that coruscant was in entirely imperial people but we have since learned that no coruscant is like you say it's just a place it's just a planet 
that you know the emperor just happens to to it's have not a just a planet. Planet. it might be the you might be able to argue that it could be one of the most densely populated planets right because yeah, it's, it's, it's an entire city, city. Of, yeah it's the new york city of this galaxy so you know you're you're crashing this moon into it to take out you know so you Trump know Tower, in the meantime you're destroying the whole city it's like wow <laughs> yeah think about that yoda was like an extra <laughs> a religious terrorist you know <laughs> exactly oh that's agreement that's true. That, uh, that you is know, actually, I clipped healthy. that out of my uh, out of my remarks, and I said that you know this country lost its shit over 9/11, rightfully so, I might add. But we lost mm-hmm. our shit over that. Think of how the galaxy is going to be like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and you know, and if you think about, well, this is probably the major, and I, maybe I'm overthinking it, right? But this, as New York is kind of the uh, the the commercial headquarters of the United States, surely the same must be true mm-hmm. of Coruscant in the galaxy far, far away. Yoda just fucking leveled the place. So what is it like? <laughs> fucking like the, the depression, like galactic wide 1930s now. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Because if I don't know about the rest of you, but I mean, we find out that Leia's a former Imperial. She's the uh, the daughter of Darth Vader. Oh, and by the way, she's a Jedi too. She's all fucking three things that the galaxy hates right now, and now she's the mm-hmm. president. I don't think so. You know, uh, there'd be a lone gunshot uh, uh, ringing out at that <laughs> at that inauguration ceremony. I guarantee it. it. It's only been hinted at so far in, in my reading. Uh, you know, on our show, I've been talking a little bit about uh, I'm, I've been getting into those legacy of the force books lately. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my, my ignorance of the EU is still quite vast. But one of the things that has been hinted at here and there, and I pray to God that you know, one of these really good writers will will pick it up and fully explore it at some point is the fact that, you know, in those stories, it's been about 40 years since Return of the Jedi. So a lot of stuff has happened in the interim. But there's a generation that's coming up that's starting to feel like, you know, looking at Han and, and Leia and Luke and going, you know, Essentially, you guys were terrorists. You know, you came in, you overthrew the government, and then you set yourselves up. How the hell does that work? It's uh, and that's how history see- is. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, I mean, it, it maybe it's just hard for us to imagine in the society that we live in. But I mean, if suddenly somebody just you know stormed the White House and blew the friggin' place up doesn't mean that suddenly they can go on the news and proclaim themselves the new president. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, yeah, that's can, exactly what these guys it. <laughs> it, it, Exactly. And that's but that's what these guys did. They go in, they blow up the Death Star, they kill the emperor and okay, well, we're the government now and it's like, really? Is that how well, it works? Well, I think there was sort of and you know, and some of this is coming from the comics and and stuff like that, but it sort of seemed like the the rebellion had the tacit he was getting the tacit nod and wink from a good chunk of the galaxy that's true you know that 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 a lot of the people that 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 a lot of the empire's power came from you know being having the power to hold all these systems under their thumb as much and having the death stars there as their enforcer you know they needed an enforcer which means 
Yeah, people were going along with it because they didn't want to die or go to a the Spice Mine yeah. Kessel. But then secretly the leaders of yeah, those planets the were backing the rebellion. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I hadn't uh, – yeah. So right. I, I think that's sort of what they were, were hinting that. So when the rebellion won, but then again, like anything else with, you know, I don't want to say human nature because it's a different galaxy, but sentient nature or whatever – I'm sure people would start picking apart the rebellion after they won and going, you know, you could have done it without killing so many, you know, and on and on. And Actually, I've got a, a, a something that sort of touches on that, and it's actually something I'm deathly afraid of for Episode 7, if you want to get into that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> if uh, my, my hope for Episode 7 is that they don't show us another, you know, galaxy-wide, sort of unified type of galactic government, because... I would find that kind of hard to to accept in episode uh, episode seven, you know. And I just I don't think that the the outer rim or even the mid rim, but definitely the outer rim systems, would want to have anything to do with the new republic or ba- or whatever it is that, right. that, that that takes the place of the empire, right? Because if you think about it, under the old republic regime, the outer rim basically got fucked. There's really no two ways about it. They were completely ignored. Their problems were their problems, and they pretty much had to solve them on their own. The Outer Rim, that's primarily where the Separatists came from, and so they were occupied by the Separatists. I'm sure that wasn't a picnic. And then after all of that happens, here comes the fucking Empire, and now they're being they're, they're being uh, repressed and subjugated by yet another galactic form of government. I mean, what I think would happen after all of that shit, an entire generation— or one generation for sure, but very probably multiple generations are getting completely butt-fucked by the rest of the galaxy. I think the rest of... I, I think the uh, Outer Rim would... The Outer Rim systems would basically say, you know what, deuces, you guys. Uh, we're going to handle things on our own, whatever you guys got going on in the core. They've been... Well, I mean, that's how it... That's how it's... It's the Wild West, so, I mean, that's what they're used to doing anyway. Right. It, it almost makes no difference to them... No, I think it would make a difference because at least this way they're still going to have to resolve their problems on their own. But at least this way they won't have to pay, you know, uh, atrocious fucking taxes to mm-hmm. a government that doesn't give a shit about them in the first place. Right? You mean to tell me that they're going to be eager to sign on with a with a bunch of uh, with, with a bunch of teenagers and and uh, imperial washouts? Now you guys are going to lead the galaxy? Oh joy! No, I think we'll. I'll take my chances on my own. Thank you very much. You know, that's how I see it. How I see it playing out. And if if we take you know, basically the entire saga into account up to this point, no one is ever going to convince me that a, that a a planet like Naboo or or, uh, or or Tatooine or any of the rest, what's in it for them to to join up with yet another huge government when they know beyond any shadow of a doubt, in the end, they're the ones that are going to get screwed. I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. join up with someone like that, would you? Mm-hmm. So it's true, and it's yeah, it's all those out. It's and whenever the action occurs in Star Wars. In the outer rims. Mm. Well, and the other thing, and like Scott touched on this, the one thing that I can, the one reason that I would kind of overlook Yoda's usage in the prequels. Now, I've really changed my tune about the prequels in recent times. I've my opinion of them has kind of taken a nosedive. But the one thing that I do kind of like about the prequels, even now, is the way that Yoda was used in the movie. He's basically exemplary of everything that's wrong with the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Yoda that, that basically isn't allowing the, uh, the the Jedi Order to grow and adapt with the times. It's Yoda who's uh, basically clinging to all of this dogmatic bullshit when 
you know, he's basically got the Sith staring him right in the eyes, and he's refusing to acknowledge in a lot of ways that they're even there. Basically, Yoda is everything that's wrong with the modern-day Jedi, and he goes from living in literally an ivory tower in the prequels to to being cast off and, you know, living all by himself in the swamps. Part of me kind of feels like he got what was coming to him, you know? And so on that basis, I can kind of excuse it. So that that's one of the few things about the prequels that actually still works for me. Well, my friend Marco is is of the opinion that the prequels are about the downfall, you know, partially about the downfall of the Jedi because the Jedi had become dogmatic. They'd become dependent on technology. You know, they're talking about, you know, they're talking about the force in terms of midichlorians and how many midichlorians you have. And, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of becoming an enforcement arm for politics and stuff like that. So they'd completely lost touch with the, you know, the down to earth, you know, real, the living force or whatever they called it. So, you know, by the, by the time Star Wars starts up, you see all the Jedi have been knocked down to living in, in the wilderness, you know, right? to, to get more into, and all the, the heroes and all the action takes place in the wilderness with, with people from, you know, sketch not sketchy but you know poor backgrounds and and just out of nowhere you know not the people that you think of as the movers and shakers i i agree with that and um you know you and to kind of run with uh, run with your point about being too obsessed with politics i mean if you look at uh the phantom menace i realize that's kind of a sensitive issue for a lot of people but you know one of the uh main concerns that that Mace Windu had about sending uh, sending Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan back into action to protect the Queen, they wouldn't have given a shit about the Queen or what happened to her, except that Darth Maul attacked Qui-Gon on Tatooine, and now all of a sudden they're more concerned about getting to the bottom of that than they are with protecting the Queen. They're, they don't want to be seen going against the, the Senate's rules, and so as a compromise, they basically send Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan back out there. But what I took away from all of that stuff was that the Jedi Council wouldn't have given two fucks what happened to the Queen after she was escorted back to Coruscant, except that Darth Maul had had jumped Qui-Gon on Tatooine. If it hadn't been for that and all of the mysteries that, that, that came out of that, I don't think they would have cared what happened to the Queen a, after that point. you know. And, and so rather than, than taking – maybe some people would call it black and white, but rather than just kind of take a look at the uh, occupation of Naboo and say, you know what, guys, this is wrong. We've got to do something, right? Which I think is the way that the because the force doesn't have jurisdiction, it doesn't have boundaries or borders. It, I think, if we talk about the will of the force, you know, I think sooner or later ethics and morality have to come into it. And I don't think there's very much that's moral about letting uh, a very pacifistic and unarmed, demilitarized planet be bullied and pushed around by an invading force of droids and tanks and shit. And so. But that the the Jedi Council didn't they didn't care about any of that stuff. All they cared about was uh, was the politics of the situation and very possibly the return of the Sith. And it's uh, anyway. So as I say, it, it's things like that. Those are some of the few things that I can actually look back at, you know, with the prequels and say, you know what? Maybe every single little thing didn't come together right, but at least 
I can look beyond Yoda not being a not being an unknown uh, force because of what what that means for his character arc. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's just not to disagree with you, Scott. I'm just saying that uh, that's no. I, I think you make a great point, and I, I can totally see that when you put it that way. If he had been presented a little bit differently, like like Chris said, you know, have him in some robes, you know, have him having having him look like he belongs in that environment, but having him look essentially the same way he did in the Empire Strikes Back, then essentially it looks like you've got this beautiful gleaming ivory tower and this hick living there running things. Right. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it's just it, it visually, well, it doesn't work for me. It makes it look like he's at home there, and it should that should be someplace like maybe if Yoda's there, that means the shit's hitting the fan, you know. So Yoda'll show up in his dirty old robes and be like, "Hey, why did I burn dinner?" You know, <laughs> and you know what do you need? And then he gets there and he gets you know he knocks heads together and and gets stuff done and then goes back or something, but you know. Uh, you just got the impression that all the best Jedi, you know, in the world or in the galaxy were like centered around Coruscant. And I always pictured Jedi just sort of scattered throughout the galaxy, yes. like state troopers just sort of out on their route, you know. And if if the if something was happening, they could use the force to be like, well, I better huff back to Coruscant and see what's going on, you know. Mm. Right. Well, I just wanted to uh, throw throw all of that out there and just see what comes back to me. So, um, I think at this point, I you know, you guys have kind of talked about a lot of the things I at least wanted to mention. But um, the fact that there is really no forget about a conclusion, there really is no resolution to this story. That's mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons that this thing ultimately just didn't work for me. I mean, there's the fact that you you have that sort of cerebral impressionistic battle of the minds or whatever the hell happens between Vader and Yoda, which I think we've kind of established. It would have been nice to see something along those lines in the prequels, but would have, should have, could have. Um, but I guess beyond all of that, the thing that ultimately bothers me is that, uh, the star Wars trilogy and return of the Jedi in particular, they're really all about the falls of the emperor and Vader and we don't really get any of that here. I mean, first off, Leia, or Han, I should say, Han pretty much blows Vader away. There's really not much of a pitched battle there. And, you know, I guess going out like a bitch is, maybe that's just part of the Star Wars tradition and I'm just stupid about it. I don't know. But you don't really, there, there's really no reconciliation there. I mean, Vader goes from a page wanting to, wanting to, um, Basically wanting to end Leia to, mm-hmm. oh, my daughter, I love you so much. I have a daughter, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then we're putting pennies on his eyes. On top of all that, we don't even know what the fuck's going on with the Emperor or what's happening and or, or anything else. And this, this, it's like, this, it's almost like this story well, the ended. the Emperor's a great string puller. Where's the great string puller during all this? Yeah, it just kind of feels like this thing ended an issue or two early, you know? I mean... It would have been nice, and I, and really, a lot of this same, a lot of these same remarks can somewhat be said of Return of the Jedi Infinities. We don't get the end of the story, and you know that's great. You know, you you've made a great setup. Pay it off, and we're never going to get the payoff for all of this. And 
ultimately, that's why you know uh, Star Wars Infinities works the best for me. And that's weird if you think about it, because for it being for you know for its placement in, I guess the twist uh, where the where the twist, uh, the divergence took place. They have a shitload of story to tell, and yet managed to do it in four issues. This has com- comparatively less story to tell, and can't manage to fit it all into four issues because we're it's full of bullshit side trips and story padding and all these other things. And Return of the Jedi is probably the biggest offender of all. Anyway, it's just it, it feels like this thing is completely ass backwards to what it should be, and it's just f- for that reason the only one of these I can read is Star Wars Infinities. These other two, I'm gonna go through all three of them because to do one is kind of to tackle all of them, but. I'm. I don't think I'm going to have m- much nicer things to say about Jedi Infinities. So, so there you go. At least they didn't do the prequels Infinities. Oh Lord, they might. Because those would have to go all through the prequels and then the next six movies too. Those would have to be extra long or condensed. You know, actually, I had an idea for a Phantom Menace Infinities. Yeah. And what if they've been a good movie. Well, it would have been ten minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> basically at the beginning Qui-Gon cuts through the door at the, on the Trade Federation battleship he arrests everybody on the Trade Federation roll credits, end of saga <laughs> <laughs> his inability to get through that door is literally what the entire saga hinges on if he had managed to get through oh. that door nothing else would have would have happened hmm I'm sure you meant to say hinges too hinges, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've got a question for you guys. I did enjoy these, you know, reads, you know, even with the little nitpicks and and complaints with each Mm -hmm. one. I did enjoy them. I thought they were a lot of fun uh, to varying degrees. But also it was it was sort of a to a minor degree, it was sort of a wish fulfillment of something that I had wanted since I was a kid. Because, you know, of course, Chris and I grew up reading the, the Marvel Comics Star Wars and uh, and being big fans of that, well, Marvel Comics was yep. also back then publishing What If, mm-hmm. and I used to really enjoy you know selected issues of that, and I always wanted them to do uh, an issue or two of like I don't know if you'd call it a crossover or what, but essentially like a What If Star Wars issue or two, and so I was thinking like you know if you had to do this Infinity series and and focusing on you know one of the movies in, in, you know, three different minis, where would your divergence be? What would your what if story or, you know, scenario be? I'm going to throw Chris under the bus as the host of this show. I demand you go first while I think about it. If I had to, I mean, if I was going to, what if it, I would, what if it, I would throw a monkey wrench early, early on. And it would have to be in star Wars. And, uh, I mean, like a Star Wars one, an Empire one, and a Jedi one. Oh, jeez. You know, the same way they did here, but, you know, just like where would your divergence for each of those movies be? Well, I would like to see what would happen if Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru didn't get killed and would keep Luke on the planet a little more and delay things and get him get him out there in a more... that 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 would really screw things up. 
So I, I like that I'm going to go for the ones that really screw things up. Empire, what would really screw up? Now, see, I, I want to talk about the one you just mentioned real quick because that's an interesting idea I never, ever thought of. Because the one that I always wanted to see as a kid, I think, spins directly out of one of my favorite what-if stories was what, what if um, Uncle Ben had lived, you know, Spider-Man's Uncle Ben. Uh-huh. So I always wanted to see what if Ben Kenobi had lived. But there was actually like one of the early drafts of Star Wars. Ben didn't die, and I, if I'm remembering the the legend correctly, I think it was Alec Guinness who proposed Ben being killed because after they leave the Death Star, you know, he really doesn't have anything to do for the whole rest of the movie. So they say, well, why not just kill him off since he's kind of you know his story arc's kind of done at that point anyway. So maybe. If Ben Kenobi had lived, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. So I like your idea. I think what if Aunt Beru and Uncle Ben had lived and somehow kept Luke down on the farm? I think that's it. It changes whole psychology. Yeah. An Empire, I wouldn't change that right till the end, and I would have Luke get caught in the carbonite and get brought to the Emperor. That's essentially the same same scenario I did, except mine was uh, what if Luke had joined Vader. What if Luke accepted Vader's offer, you know, come with me. It is the only way. And he said, okay, and went with him. That would kind of screw some things up. That would up. screw some things up, yeah. What Jedi about Jedi? Jedi is tough. Jedi is tough. Um, yeah, I'd like to keep Boba Fett alive, but there still wouldn't be a lot of, for him to do to screw things up. So... Oh. Damn, man. Mine's probably kind of lame, but mine was just simply what if Han Solo had died in stasis? You know, what oh. if what if Leia bought oh, him out and he That's was a dead. dark scene anyway. Yeah, it's very dark. <laughs> it's smelly and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, you know, and I mean, how much does that change things? You know, potentially you've got maybe like Luke going over to the dark side or you know like he has a he has a scene similar like when Anakin took out the Tuscan Raider camp where he just goes in and takes out Jabba's establishment, which kind of tips him over to the dark side or something. I, I don't know. It could have been interesting. Yeah, Je- Jedi is hard to to monkey with because it's just you know it's it's all resolution. You know, it's all just resolve it. Everything part is resolving all the threads. Mm-hmm. So you just have to sort of pick what you don't want resolved. I mean, what if Darth Vader didn't die? That mm-hmm. would be uh, that would be very interesting. But then it would be right at the end, so you wouldn't really get to explore it. You would just have a similar scene, except you wouldn't see him burning. You'd see him standing there, probably with his arm around Luke. You know. What if the Ewoks had eaten Han Solo? Ooh. What if? Well, yeah. What if they thought? 3PO was the the yellow demon instead of their <laughs> yellow god. Their version of Satan, and then they sided with the Empire because they were they were white. You know, white soldiers would fight the golden Satan off. <laughs> I think we lost our host. No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm just listening. I'm I'm here. Um, well, I had a couple of ideas on that. For Star Wars, what if Dr. Evazon and Ponda mm-hmm. Baba, I think are their names, what if they shot and mm-hmm. killed Obi-Wan in the, in the uh, cantina? 
Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of changed things up a little bit. Yeah, who would they meet on, on Alderaan? Who's their contact? And while we're at it, who trains, who, who begins introducing Luke to the Force? I think you could get some interesting juice out of that. They, yeah, and they could still, they still knew what they had to do. They still would have, like, headed to Alderaan, got on the Death Star. The only thing that would have been different is they would have had to gotten rid of the Force field themselves or... You know the, the shield in front of the that Obi Wan shut down. The, yeah, would, the, Luke, would Luke make make it to, you know, to the Death Star though? Because at that point, if 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 Ben had died in that confrontation, they you know he he had been talking to Chewbacca, but Luke can't communicate with Chewbacca, and so well if you remember in the comics, it, Luke did know a little Wookiee. Did he? Yeah, they remember there was one. He was just like, oh yeah, well I used to learn like I used I learned some Wookiee when I was I learned all these different languages. It was in one of the comics. He was speaking. He was speaking Wookiee. Are you talking about when he meets the Mimbins in uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Because he could communicate with them. Oh, you're right. You're right. It was Mimbin. You are correct. Well, uh, he had a protocol droid with him. I mean, I'm sure that's something true. could have been worked oh, out. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's, yeah, hadn't thought of that. For Empire, my uh, twist was going to be the Imperial probe droid shoots at and kills Han at the top of the movie. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, who flies the Falcon? Where do the Rebels hide? Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, it, the, it basically Leia opens up. made it out. Right, it opens up the possibility that the whole excursion to Cloud City wouldn't have been necessary, which, yeah, it kind of positions Leia so that she could be uh, turned to the dark side, but it also lets Luke possibly finish his training, so who's to say? I don't know. Hmm. For Jedi, um, what I was going to say is that Yoda, and this this basically requires changing actually a couple of things, Basically, making Yoda a bit younger, but Yoda joins Luke in the assault on the on the Death Star, sort of as a parallel to Episode Three. Basically, he and Luke split up. Luke takes on Vader, Yoda takes on the Emperor. Basically, <clears throat> as with uh, kind of like Ben, I was supposed to have done. Luke isn't necessarily shooting to kill; he's trying to turn Vader back. While Yoda, he's got both guns pointed at the Emperor, and he's going for it. So. That's the best I could think of. I like because that. Because so much of, of Jedi is, is kind of a closed circuit to begin with. It's hard to find room to manipulate. Mm-hmm. It's true. I do like your uh, your Empire scenario, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I like it that it's right at the beginning of the story, because you know, uh, Chris and I both went to the end of the story. But yeah, if that changed right at the beginning of the story, there's all kinds of shit that could change. I'm changing mine. <laughs> I'm changing it where Wedge gets left behind on on Hoth and <laughs> goes hippie. Oh wait, we already saw that one. <laughs> we already had that one for three years, and, and he nobody thinks, yeah. He and he goes insane and thinks he's Luke's best friend, Biggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a comic I want to read. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right, fellas. So, uh, anybody got anything else? 
I got this itch that's been <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, that's because of where you hang out at night. <laughs> I meant anything else to say. <laughs> no, we're good. I, I was just going to say, I have some special ointments I could, but we'll <laughs> talk about that after we stop recording. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Scott, uh, since Chris has been on the show already, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you guys, as if they don't already know, but just in case they don't because they're retarded or something, why don't you tell them where they can find you? Right over there. Uh, right next to that thing right Right? No, not there. Right, right there. That thing? That's where we'll be. No, we. Uh, you can find us every week at twotruefreaks.com. Every week we give you something a little different. First week of the month we give you Star Wars Monthly Monday where we talk about, well, Star Wars. Uh, right now we are working our way through the uh, Star Wars Wild Space Omnibus, and that's been a hell of a lot of fun. Oh. Uh, second week of the month we talk about Star Trek. We talk about classic Star Trek with William Shatner, and then uh, we also talk about Star Trek The Next Generation with all those guys. Which what about the one from he- What about the Star Trek with the guy from Heroes in it? Uh, no, not so much. <laughs> we talk about it. <laughs> we talk about it. Just, you know, we talk shit about it. Yeah. Um, third week of the month, comics. Comics Monthly Monday, where we talk about funny books from all different eras. And fourth week of the month, we do a commentary. We just uh, we pick a movie at random or semi-random. Uh, here lately, with all the new movies that have been coming out, we've been... Uh, you know, talk, trying to talk about something relevant to, you know, a new release. Next month for uh, November, we'll be doing a commentary for Thor, the, the first mm-hmm. Thor movie, as the sequel is about to come out. And then occasionally there's even, you know, the special fifth Monday of the month where you know, it's wild card. Who, who knows what you might get with some of those shows. And so. those are just the podcasts with me and Scott. <laughs> the, then when you get into everybody else's podcasts, there's oh, just yeah. a plethora tons and tons of shows yes. we got shows about comics we got shows about harry potter we got shows about green doctor lantern who. doctor who and giant monsters and no oh, we got all kinds of shit coming out so yeah check us out if you're into anything at all nerdy geeky whatever you're bound to find something that you like a little of it here that you like we even got these two two guys, father and son team, that talk really funny. Oh. I can't understand what the hell they're saying, but people seem to like them. So, <laughs> by which he means, um, hey kids, comics. It's not a, a donkey show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It yeah. Says you, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me. I'm going to play a couple of promos, and we'll be right back. So. Excellent. Excellent.